Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Body Protest Podcast, a new intersectional body image podcast that takes a deep dive into our often complicated, occasionally treacherous relationships with our bodies. We want to figure out how we can all feel more at home in our bodies and what it will take to create a world that fosters positive body image. I'm Honey Ross. And I'm Nadia Craddock. In each episode, we'll be combining storytelling with science to discuss body image, so how we feel about how we look in relation to our weight, shape, race, skin colour, physical ability, sexuality, mental health, and whatever else comes up. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Today we're going to be talking about social media, fashion and modelling, and of course body image, with Naomi Shimada. We love Naomi so much, and I feel like you will too. Yeah, her warmth is infectious, and she's intelligent in the most curious and open way. You might know Naomi from her colourful Instagram account, or from her modelling days. Naomi's done a whole bunch of major campaigns for Nike, H&M and Monkey. Nomi's also just published a book with her friend Sarah Raphael, former editor-at-large of Refinery29, casual. (laughs) Um, The book is called Mixed Feelings and it explores the emotional impact of social media. It's a book of our times and a really important conversation starter. We'll link to the book in our bio. Let's hear from Nomi. Self-love is true love. Honour the most important relationship in your life, yourself. Our sponsor, Womanizer, believes that every person has the right to pleasure and self-love, regardless of age, sexuality, size and colour. A wonderful way to learn to appreciate your body is through self-pleasure. Masturbation is a truly joyful way to connect with your body and learn to feel comfortable in your skin. Everyone should feel able to feel comfortable in their body and explore their own sexual needs and desires. In this house, we see masturbation as the purest form of self-love. Unlike other vibrators, Womanizer products stimulate with soft pressure waves. It is stimulation without touch, meaning there is no chance of overstimulation or loss of sensitivity. Get yourself your very own Womanizer at womanizer.com UK so you can light a candle, run a bath and have a mind-blowing night of sexy self-care. So... We have a very exciting episode today at The Body Protest. We are with the incredible, well, I mean, you do so many things so well. Would you care to introduce yourself? (laughs) Um, My name is Naomi Shimada. I don't really know what I do well. I just exist. <laughs> and I'm just trying. You're doing it well, I, though. I'm just trying things. With such I don't... a big smile as well. I think you're like the sunniest person on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite word at the moment is neophyte because it just means that we're, we're learning things. 
Uh-huh. You know, oh, we don't have to be that. the masters of our craft, which I think there's so much pressure in this day and age to strive for perfection, mm-hmm. you know, and like, what if we're just learning? Why can't mm-hmm. all, we all be students? I could just listen to you talk for my whole life. Honestly. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Um, but you did have a start in modeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we'd love to talk to you a bit about that. I, I have modeled for most of my life. So when did you start? <laughs> How did it all start? It originally started um, when I was a child because mm-hmm. my my parents worked in the fashion industry of sorts. Like right. they ha- they opened one of the first vintage stores in Tokyo, so their friends had labels. Their friends were designers. So I think it just started as this like innocent thing as a child that you know I was I think always kind of a, a performing child that wanted right. to do the splits in a fun outfit. Uh-huh. You know? so <laughs> they're like, well, uh, well, why don't you do this and we'll take a photo of it. So. Um, and I just I modeled as a, as a student when I was when I was in school I would spend summer holidays and weekends like my my parents were weren't ever pushing it onto right. me it was something I actually really enjoyed doing. Yeah. Well, because you say publicly that you were scouted when you were thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found that very interesting because thirteen is such an interesting age where you're kind of like I often say that people kind of realize that they're like being objectified at the age of thirteen and so to actually literally have someone being like you're a model now like. How did you feel about yourself before and did it affect your self-esteem or change things after? To be honest, at 13, I was still very much a 13-year-old. You know, I think looking back, the objectification seems really real to me now, now that I really understand the concept. And, you know, when you're 13, as much Mm. as we say that that is when it starts happening, we don't know that's what's happening. You know, I think... Or maybe some people do, but or we're kind of aware, but we don't have the language to make sense of it in that way. You know, I think even in this modern age where we're talking about the fact that everyone is self-objectifying themselves on social media in Mm. a way that's never been done before. We're not really talking about it, you know. So um, I was a tall string bean of a child (laughs) and the kind of modeling body aesthetic was what I was at the time. Tall, straight up and down, no boobs, no hips. Just like, I was a little gangly bean. That's all I could describe (laughs) myself as. I was just like all legs, all arms, like tripping over my own arms and legs at all times. (laughs) (laughs) I was in pasta form. I was spaghetti for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just, it it made sense. Like I, I fit. I fit the mold at yeah. the time. But I think that's so interesting because you were being 13 and if you're, were you modeling like adult fashion yeah. at the time? So yeah. it's kind of like, I think that's always a really interesting mm. like. I mean, until recently, yeah. you know, the bulk of most campaigns had teenagers in yeah. them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, that's always the weird case, right? What's your cater, you're catering visually to a market that is, you're, well, you know, way too young to be able to afford the clothes you're actually selling, yeah. for example. So, I, and, and I don't think it just in terms of aesthetics, but for me, th- when we talk about objectification, it was, you know, often sexually, Yeah, o- I was sexually objectified. You know, I learned to play sexy before I felt sexy, you know? Like, so, and I think I'm still undoing mm-hmm. parts of that. But, totally. but also, I think that's for all of us as human beings, you know, with the invention of like, I mean, online porn, with Mm -hmm. like the way every movie we've ever seen, like our social conditioning 
in terms of what sexy looks like is so fucked up. Can I swear on this? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, totally, it's, it's totally fucked up, you know? So I think ongoing for all of us, our, our, the struggle in our lives mm. is to undo all of that learning that is not only just like happened when we were younger, but it's still constantly all around us. What do you think was a turning point for you in doing that unlearning? You know, I like, I feel like not, not that it's often like a light bulb moment, but, and it's usually something over time, but was there, you know, a moment or a couple of moments that made you go, oh, wow. Okay. Let's, let's start figuring this out. I can't even name a single moment, to be honest. I think it's just the older I get, having the language to kind of critique it mm -hmm. from the outside. Mm. I think that's that's really important, having the language, the tools, having the conversations around it. Because I think, as you say, we do so many things not oh, consciously. That, like, yeah, it's that like, it's just, just normal it, it's now. Just we funny, accept and it's them. Just like like oh, everyone oh, is like. a model because of Instagram yeah, now. So like true. every person feels the need to strive to get the perfect image and wear the perfect outfit and get the perfect angle. Like that's not normal. Yeah. That's not normal and that was my job it's not you know no shade I'm happy that markets open up and lots of other people mm. can you know have a go at at being in this light you know but I don't think it's normal and I feel bad that people feel such pressure uh -huh. when it's like but it's not even their fault that they feel that way because no matter what we do in our society we are con especially as women we have mm. to be the perfect package, mm. you know? Like, it doesn't matter if you're an astronaut or a chef or an opera singer or, you know, you, a crazy scientist. It's like, are you photogenic? Yeah. Do you like, do you fit the sample for mm -hmm. the cover of the, you know? And we still live in that reality. So yeah. um, I think it's hard. Um, I've definitely been in that position, but you just learn to make it work. I think, you know, I think I really got into dressing myself. I've always been into, like, dressing myself, but... You know, ever since I was young. I actually have a question about yeah. that, which is, you know, uh, one thing I think we both love so much about you and your Instagram mm -hmm. is, you know, how vibrant it is, the colours, the way you style yourself. I actually found out about you through one of my best friends showing me your Style Like You video from a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and how you talk about your personal style. Mm -hmm. what, you know, how did that come about? Like, you know, were there inspirations and influences, especially because, you know, you do talk about tr the transition from being a straight size model into a plus size model, mm -hmm. a mid size model. Mm -hmm. Um, so many women feel shy and unable to dress in the way they'd like to. You know, what was something that pushed you to be so vibrant? I think the industry I was in trying to suppress me. Yeah. You know, I mean, and as well, it was, there was definitely what you would call a model uniform when I was like a, a, a working model. I Which mean, was what? I mean, not even a working model. I'm still a working model, but I just mean in that specific era that totally. we're talking about yeah. of me kind of... Tra quote unquote transitioning like before then it was um you know it was like a white vest like biker boots like very america's next top model yes like, you know, the, that like thing the go see challenge yeah the go see yeah. challenge exactly that and i was just like what is this yeah it's you so, know yeah because there's no expression and i never no dressed like that even as a kid i dressed like super fun and colorful I've yeah. dressed like kind of like this my whole life just the sizes have got bigger yeah. you know but but the imprint and of of my style has always existed and I was thinking about this yesterday because I did another interview and that they were asking me a lot about my personal style that I developed as a child and I think it's so it's just so much to to do with my parents. My parents mm -hmm. wore whatever they wanted. Uh -huh. And like it was their business. They were in the business of making people feel good. And they were in the business of finding 
of helping people find what their style and their niche was. Mm. I love that take on, like, I know because they own a vintage shop, it's so interesting because so many people, shopping for clothes is not the business of making themselves feel good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that how we all grew up was very much like, nope. Like, it wasn't a nice... I remember how many panic attacks have I had in H&M. Like, I couldn't even yeah. start. I mean, who hasn't? But and their uh, lighting is The horrible. lighting is cruel. <laughs> but um, I love that the attitude you have got is that it should be something that makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Because well, that attack it was is just, healthy. It was a militant sense of expression. Like, in Japan, yeah. I come fr- I've come from a culture where people are quite subdued in, right. in terms of like expressing themselves emotionally. Mm-hmm. So clothing is like the only way we are allowed to culturally express ourselves. Like all, you know, all that like, that Harajuku era is like where and I grew up in wow. Tokyo. So, you know, whether it's like punk, Lolita, like, mm-hmm. you know, the gothic, like, yeah. you know. There was a language that, for expressing yourself. Yes, that was, you know, whatever your, your crew was, your community was, you know, it was a way of finding a place in the world. What was right. your crew? I mean, I was, I was young, so I was, I was more like a spectator in all yeah. of this, but still that, this is, this is what I was around. Around. Yeah. And that's kind of what I absorbed and I put my own spin on it. And between that and my parents of just being like, wear whatever you want, which is like, you know, it, my clothing wasn't gendered when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Like, if I wanted to wear dresses, that was my choice, but it was never something my... I went I went from an extreme tomboy to, like, extreme princess. Like, I had all <laughs> the phases, you know? And, like, when I think about it now, my brother, my little brother, even when he was two, he had, like, a shaved head, but he... I was thinking about this yesterday. He was so insistent on... He would wear a Minnie Mouse costume every day, but he had a shaved head, and it was <laughs> fucking sick. He wore, like, DM boots, and, a, and, and like, he was a two-year-old. I was, like, like, yeah. You know, so like, my, and my parents never bat an eyelid, and yeah. like, I didn't really, I haven't really thought about that till recently. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm kind of examining my own, not just my behaviors, but my thought patterns and how I am the way I am. When people are, keep asking you this question, when usually yeah. you just you just get on with it and you adapt. Mm-hmm. But like to strip it back, that's really so much of where it comes from is that you know. Yeah. You talk about growing up in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you grew up kind of all around the world, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Because you went from Japan to Spain. Yeah, so I moved when I was 11. Wow. Did you notice a contrast of kind of the way the different cultures perceived bodies and how it kind of... Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think there's pros and cons to growing up anywhere, you know, because Mm. in some ways it opens up your eyes to whole different ways of living and that's made me who I am. You know, I'm very adaptable, I'm very open-minded, and but, you know, there's definitely ways of thinking, especially when it comes to... the the body that growing up in Japan was very difficult, you know, right. not just in terms of size, but also in terms of like shade, like skin shade, like, wow, you yeah. know, no one ever really, re- I mean, Asians talk about it, but no one really talks about like the racism, it, the inter-Asian racism that exists, right. you know, there's a hierarchy and like Japanese people like to think that they're at the top of that, that food chain, right. you know, they're like the Aryan Asian, wow. <laughs> like, and they're, <laughs> and they, are real purists about that kind of stuff and like they associate like tones of skin tones with like class yeah so if you're like darker skin then I've always been like quote unquote dark darker skin Japanese person my father was so like you know when I was younger it was like being bullied at school because of my skin tone like I remember and then when I was older and not skinny anymore it was the going home and it was the 
about my size, you know? And I think, you know, like, I think I was carrying a lot of emotion around my size too when I would go home just because Mm -hmm. it was this thing of you want to feel at home. Yeah. But you don't because you just don't fit in. And also, like, they like going back to the kind of the emotional suppression thing of expressing ourselves emotionally we don't do that so we talk about outer features so it's completely socially acceptable to be like wow you got so fat oh my god right right that's not like the filter like it kind of oh yeah it would be it's so average to say that that wow like like god you're really fat or like you know like or like just or or pet names are like fatty piggy like you know in some ways and this is going to sound strange but i am so of the school of thought now that fat's not a dirty word it's a descriptor and like but then i guess that's not the way it was being said to you at the time you know it wasn't like no you're just a beautiful you know it's not it wasn't like that but it's you know fear you know like now that i'm older i'm not really that i've stripped this thought process so you know down to it because you know when people say things like that so much of what we say in the world that doesn't come off as very nice is our own personal fears right yeah right. when now I translate to that to I'm I'm worried about you that you're not going to fit in or I'm worried that people yeah. are going to be mean to you because I care about you or like you know I just put a spin on it where I'm like it's not, you know, it's, it's not as simple as it is. It, yeah, and it's it's not my burden to to carry. Yeah. yeah. And it's more, you know, it's a dis, it's a cultural discomfort that like I can't help I like my my family don't have the same access to to social education and all these things that I do. Yeah, I'm the privileged one that understands that these aren't bad things necessarily, you know. Right. So I I brush it off a lot more. But you know, and and as well like as, you know, Southeastern a- Asia or just Asian in general, like people were a lot smaller for a really long time, mm, you know? Right. So it's this whole new thing, wave, wave where people are differentiating in size and like, you know, change is uncomfortable for people and every everyone operates. For, uh, so, you know, we all, very often as a society operate from a place of fear and not a place of love. Mm. And I think in life, we're either operating from one position or another out of love or out of fear and I think being able to cut through that and just being able to see it for what it is kind of we have to reprogram we all have to reprogram our way our our thought processes and I think I mean except my 99 year old grandma is just she's 99 she's lived a life (laughs) I think you know but there are some people you're like you know what it's been a long run you're okay whereas like everyone else like we should all be actively trying to unlearn these things that we were taught that kind of tried to make us all feel bad about ourselves yeah and sometimes it's not worth the emotional labor Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not like you know not every I don't want to battle every day and it's if I know I'm good you know but if there's certain moments where I feel like I have the patience and it's the right time to try and have a conversation about it then I do but if not yeah, I put yeah. in the book, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so w- can we go back to, so you are saying about well, you started modelling when you were 13 and then mm-hmm. your body, like, transitioned you grew up and, mm-hmm. like, became a woman as, you know, as, mm-hmm. as everyone's body kind of changes as you grow up. And, and then I think Honey mentioned then that you kind of then were, like, labelled, like, plus size. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about that and how that, like... Yeah, I mean, the industry or, has shifted a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
up until three years ago, I would have still been solely identified as a plus size model. People still do it now, but it's just lazy journalism. Right. Yeah. But um, it's it's not a term that I'm like ashamed to have been associated by. It was just like how the industry was. Yeah. So anything, it was an industry term that anything above a twelve. Yeah. Meant you were plus size. Like you didn't fit into. It's so nuts. It's just like it's yeah. bad because that's kind of the majority of the country. Well, I think it's like the average size is fourteen, isn't it? The average size is sixteen. 16. Yeah. So, so like it's you know so many women oh, aren't got being bigger because average size used to be a 14 it's a 16 yeah. now mm. yeah well. we all eat and good but it's you know it's interesting because oh, so many women aren't being represented yeah. by what well, we're being shown even for all plus size brands only until a few years ago i want to say like two three full time yeah. where they did they really start shooting actual plus size girls right. so true like you know just like how main mainline brands shoot the smallest version of what they sell mm. yeah that's what plus size brands did too they weren't shooting actual like plus size models and you know like they would let bloggers do stuff sometimes or like special blogging yeah. photos but they weren't the models you know so yeah. i think there's been a huge shift and and i think they're finally listening to what their consumer actually wants yeah. like i you yeah. know i when i used to shoot only for plus size brands for years like catalogs mm. but whether you know um, the handful of brands that used to exist, you know, like I, 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 I was shooting ASOS Ecom when plus size, the, they started selling plus size. Wow. That yeah. was like, you know, so it was a turning point. Like nobody, like there were maybe five brands. There were five brands and they were all horrible. Yeah. Like me and my mum used to just like absolutely weep because we just, because I, I was also like, I was a teenager. I was like, I just want to wear what everyone else is wearing. I just yeah. want to wear nice. Right. I mean, that Ace was right. always my thing about it because yeah. I was like, I was that, I was their audience, you know, like yeah. I was like a young, bigger girl, you know, because I, I think I fluctuated between like 14, 16 for a while. And like, I was like, why can't, I don't understand why does you already make it and then you just won't make it bigger you just yeah. want okay so we're supposed to shop in the ugly section and yeah. you want us to hide forever and I'm like, oh so you'd be happy with me either wearing a burlap sack or a 1950s poodle skirt those are the only <laughs> I options mean, a jegging, <laughs> a jegging. Yeah. They, they, they really love a, a smock like a oh, big smock yeah. a caftan a lovely yeah. caftan um, nothing wrong with a caftan like but... Not in the winter. <laughs> it was definitely, and like pin-up-esque. Yeah, looks. no, people would always be like, you know, honey, if you wear a full 1950s outfit, it's like people won't know you're fat. Uh, I'd be like, oh, yeah. oh skirt, my a poodle God. skirt, like, don't even worry, yeah. cinched, like, maybe don't even worry. cherry, cherry like, emblems. Oh, Bigger no. Betty Page. Oh, no. Yeah, good to go. Perfect. So what do you think has, like, caused this shift in the last couple of years? I think more awareness. First, first of all, like, you know, when I started... This was such early days, like we were literally just beginning to talk about plus size models in the press. Like yeah. that word had never even been, like it was just like, it was in your mom's catalog and that was it, yeah. you know? So I think it's taken a bulk of 10 years. I've been in this this end of the business, you know, I like for 10 years already. Wow. I've been talking about this publicly for 10 years. Yeah. Wow. So it, it's, take, it's not like it happened overnight and I think still think there's a lot of, growth and change to go but the position we're in you know I think has happened because the, the pressure to diversify mm -hmm. as a whole whether in terms of race size I mean I think we still have a lot of work to do with age for sure mm -hmm. oh yeah I think that's something that like everyone's like ah oh, old people never mind like <laughs> yeah. you know and that's like actually what I really want to see yeah like all my fashion icons are older women 
literally. Yeah. That's so, Jane that, Fonda. So, yeah, that's so true. And um, Cindy Gallup did a she mm-hmm. like did a like a Twitter thread going through the September Vogue US Vogue edition, and it was like over and over again. She was showing how there was like more diversity in terms of race, but she was like, like where's like where are the bigger sizes? Where are and then where are the older women? Like I'm the person who's got the money. I've got yeah, the budget exactly. to going buy like Prada. Like earlier. I can afford to buy Prada. Like but like a. 17 year old like unless you're like from like a really like privileged family you're not going to be able to afford no. that no and that's not what we should be striving to sell no. 16 year olds do you no. know what I mean exactly. so, yeah. and so I think there's just more awareness and more uh-huh. conversation I think also the fact that they've realised it makes money <laughs> yeah you know I think well, I mean, that's it is shocking it's such an untapped market of you know as you said we were both bigger girls growing up and it was I just genuinely was like, take my money. Anyone who will give me an outfit that looks like my friends, like all I wanted was a pair of American Apparel disco pants that wouldn't like yeah, explode yeah. if I put them on. Oh yeah, I, I could wear them, but they were <laughs> they, they cut were me tight. in half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, you know, it's... I was like, okay, we're not breathing today. But yeah, no, I think it's also like financial gain. I think like the outcry, yeah, has reminded people that actually. Um, you know, people over a size 14 also have money to spend and have a lot of money to spend and they want to make it and they want to look cute too. So, I don't know. I think most people who were calling the shots had never had to think about any of this before. So, it just wasn't on their agenda at all. Uh I feel like I probably know roughly what the answer is to this question, but over your course of being in the modelling industry, did you ever find it, I mean, you're still in the modelling industry, but... Did you ever find it affected your outlook on your own body? I mean, kind of for better or for worse. Like, were there ever times when you, you know, I feel like there's so much pressure. Oh, of course. Like, before I before I kind of started working in the plus-size industry, um, I really tried everything to lose weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it's so weird to talk about because it feels like such an old version of me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because, like, I, ha- I don't own scales. I never watch what I eat. Like, I know when I feel good and when I don't. Yeah. Like, I know when I need to eat more vegetables. I know when... For me, it's like... Like, I know what my body needs now. And, like, mm. I don't starve it of anything, you know? Yeah. Like, what... Uh-huh. And and I, that's a general rule. I think if you... Uh, I Because I have a healthy relationship to food, like, I never overindulge on anything because, like, your brain... Yeah. It's, your brain works differently, or you know? Yeah. yeah and... But I definitely tried everything. Like, I literally was hungry for, like, years. God. Was that because people said stuff to you or no, that you wouldn't get job. work or, it like... Wasn't, it wasn't just yeah. people saying... But people saying things to me at work. Yeah. It was all yeah. to do with my work. It wasn't, yeah. like... I didn't actually... I don't think I actually... It's not what I... You know, say I wasn't in a different kind of industry. I don't yeah. think I would have done half of the or you know most of the things that I did to lose weight you know I literally tried everything for one one time I didn't eat solid foods for like 21 days oh my was that the kind of uh, the Beyonce cayenne pepper cayenne pepper lemon cleanse bullshit thing absolutely cursed yeah (laughs) and I was like just you know I I wrote about it in the book actually because like you know like I lost a part of myself in this process you know like you lose your joy like you lose I was bored of myself I was bored of my lack of conversation because all I could think about was the way I had to lose Mm. and the ways I was going to do it and I was just boring you know (laughs) I was not fun Mm. I was really sad and I 
I lost my spirit for a while, you know, and I think like, plus, you know, it, it was a complete financial hole in my wallet, you know, yeah. between trainers and pills and treatments and <laughs> gyms and, you know, just like literally everything. But yeah. it's fine. I have to do that because through that, you know, in all my biggest times of struggle is, you know, for not just me, but for all of us, I think, you know, our hardest times are our biggest spurts of growth. Yeah, totally. And like, I, I, cl- and I went through that and like I said goodbye to that version of myself forever and like and and it birthed this whole new me which was the old me old older me plus the future me and all these you know through that through that experience I came out fighting and I built a whole career around that of of ideas around self-acceptance and ideas around joy and ideas around you know like wholehearted living which without having gone through that experience, I wouldn't be me. And also, you're amazing. So I feel like I'm grateful that you, I'm grateful that you had a horrible time. (laughs) So it made the most amazing person. You know, think about all those times in your life where it's just been absolutely, things have, when things are so horrible and those periods of anxiety and depression have been like, when my life and my body is screaming, this isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. This is not working. And you're, and you're fighting it and you're fighting it still. And you're trying to make like, you know, it was like, those blocks that you have when you're a kid and you have to put the heart and the star and the you know you're literally yeah. forcing I was f- trying to force myself yeah. into a mold that did not fit me and that's happened so many times in my life like I know that I'm not supposed to live a normal life or do normal things you know like yeah. like it, whenever I try to conform to societal right. standards it fucking backfires on me yeah like yeah. whenever I try to be like okay this is what everyone else is doing and this is what I should so this is what I should be doing and or whenever I feel like shit because I'm like oh you know everyone else is doing this and you know but I'm my life you know is not supposed to be like that well I mean I think the minute you stop trying to do any of those things no. it's so liberating no. you know you're absolutely the weight is lifted yeah. with myself now you know like yeah. I think especially with the invention of social media, so many of us are like, God, I'm running out of time. I'm late. I'm late on all these, you know, goalposts I should be hitting, you know? And like, who fucking says that that's what you're supposed to be doing at that exact moment? And I think, but it's not our fault. It really does feel like that, you know? Well, I think that's a great segue into talking a bit more about your book. Do you want to kind of tell us a bit about it and how it came about? Yeah, we've got it here, and just to say that the cover is amazing. It's like very shiny. <laughs> to describe it is a stunning holographic moment. Um, the <laughs> book is called. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, poetic as well. It's called Mixed Feelings, and it's what it's our, kind of, about it's our relationship of... with ourselves and social media. Mm-hmm. So uh, the tagline is exploring the emotional impact of our digital habits, and it's all the things that we are feeling in isolation. Mm-hmm. Mm. that happened to us on our phones whether in our bedroom that work yeah. whatever that we're not really talking about maybe you're talking a little bit between your friends at this point mm. but I think this in this day and age to have a smartphone and to be using social media is to have mixed feelings about it yeah, yeah. because I think it's really difficult this technology is so new and there are positives to it you know like so many, I, I owe my career to social media, but there's a, a lot of other weird feelings that have come with it. And I think you don't have to have a career on social media to have mixed feelings about right. it, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Well, it's the most interesting platform, Instagram, I think, because 
it's a community but you're experiencing it completely on your own mm-hmm. and I think people feel so alone and so isolated sometimes like yeah. I, I I have quite a good relationship with Instagram now but I do find it interesting when people will be like yeah but I go on Instagram and it makes me feel like shit about myself and I'm like there's so much work to be done to bridging the gap yeah. of making people not on feel like that yeah also. totally yeah. and we can't expect others to do that work for us and I think what you know we wrote this book to kind of I think so many people have we look at I mean social media makes us look at other people's lives and think Mm -hmm. everyone else has it all figured out yeah totally so this was this book does not claim to have the answers you know but it's it's a talking point it's just a starting point to have these discussions to realize how weird all this stuff is and to feel less alone was there a moment that kind of made you go right I'm doing this book there are multiple moments. I mean, I've been talking about doing a book for a couple of years and I was yeah. trying to figure out the right lens uh-huh. to talk about something through. Yeah. And this just felt like it was such a prevalent subject. Mm. You know, wherever I went, I mean, me and my friends talk about it all the time. Every tube ride, every lunch I'd have outside, like, this is all everyone is talking about. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh my God, I went on this day. And then, like, like ten minutes later, after after I left him, he unfollowed me, or like you know, like all the weird social hierarchies yeah. that happen, like and all the the need for perfection, like like we first talked about, mm-hmm. isn't just in our work lives anymore. Like social media really magnifies what our lives sh- that feeling of what our lives should. I'm quotes. I know this is radio, so you can't see me doing it. But, you know, should look like. Well, it's the highlight reel, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of know, course. It's a, and I think it's so easy to forget that. It's so yeah. easy to forget that. And, you know, social media is the thing that's had the biggest impact on our lives in, uh, of our generation, you know. And and it's literally designed to by hundreds of engineers to get us addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all feeling this sense of weirdness, not just because of how much it's changed our lives and how much we use it on a daily basis, but also how much it has the power to manipulate how we feel about everything. Completely, and I think like social media is so like, especially Instagram, like the advertising influence on it. Like, oh, how, yeah. like it's so, the so longer much. You, like, every minute that you spend that on it is like is more fruitful to them and their advertisers, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And yeah, it's like a capitalistic tool that just magnifies capitalistic values, you know. Right. So it's like. You don't have enough. Buy this thing. This is, you know, so yeah. it's, and I think I have a lot of guilt about someone that also, like, has a career that's sometimes social media based, you know? That's like, okay. I live, you know, the aspects of so, some aspects of my life that I show aren't attainable to everyone. Mm. Or, like, you know, I travel a lot, like, all these, you know, like, things, you know, or, like, wearing different outfits all the time. Or like, you know, I'm selling an idea of a life at some point and that's not what I'm trying to do but like no, no, by, but using, yeah. by using and, and having tools, a big and having that's a big what platform it looks like. and, and, yeah. Yeah. and so I, there were a lot of like things that I was feeling that I needed a space to process them yeah so the book is a is a mix so I wrote it with um, my friend Sarah Raphael she's a writer and been an editor of lots of different digital platforms over the years and we would meet up and even though we work on the different ends of the spectrum of the industry, you know, as an editor, she's more back-facing, I'm more yeah. front-facing. You know, when it came to especially how it's changed our work and we talk about it, we'd be like, we need to write about this, you know, because yeah. yeah. we are the ones 
in media setting the tone for what this looks like. And I think, you know, as an editor, especially a digital editor, you know, in this day and age, no matter whether you work at the Times or you work, you know, work uh, for BuzzFeed or whatever, yeah. everything is about clickbait. Yeah. yeah. Your job is creating clickbait. Like where you're directing the traffic. And I think the two of you complement each other really, really nicely in the book. Oh, was, have, you, have you read the book? Yeah, mm. yeah. So I was wondering what you've, what's been your takeaway from writing the book? Have you changed how you feel about social media at That's all? That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Like, have you started using Instagram less? I mean, yes, definitely. While going through the writing process, I definitely did. Now I have a book to promote, so I have to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> the irony, but the irony, that's the yeah, irony, right? Yeah. Like, our lives, like, you can... It's like deciding whether you want to be a part of the world or not. Yeah. And well, I still so love being a part of the world. Like, yeah. I love I love speaking to people from everywhere. And, yeah. like, you know, there's so many things that I, I still love about it, you know? And I, I never want to completely leave it, but I definitely had to analyze my own behaviors under this really, really tight lens, yeah. <laughs> which is often, was often very uncomfortable. Yeah. And the irony of I had to take time off to write a book, which meant I had to take time off social media. And what was interesting about it is that that's the only way you can really reflect on like, how do I think about these mm-hmm. things? Mm. I think we're surrounded by this very loud echo chamber at all times now, you know? Yeah. Social media is just pretty much everyone just shouting at you or about their own like this is what I'm doing (laughs) or like Sarah always talks about that um Charlie Charlie Booker quote that any social media post could always be I mean like obviously there's not direct quote because I can't remember but like along the lines of every social media post could actually what they'd be saying could just be please authenticate my existence yeah Yeah. please validate please authenticate my existence (laughs) and you know it's just true and if anything it's just made me think about what I want to be sharing like obviously mm-hmm. my work does intertwine with all this stuff but like with like the rest of the things that I share I want to share the things I love that bring me joy I think we live in this 24-hour news cycle where literally the world is actually Falling burning right pieces. now yeah. yeah you know yeah. so oh um <laughs> and as much as social media is a tool for awareness and so how can we sometimes change that scope of awareness to share like beautiful things yeah things not just like aesthetically beautiful, but like spiritually beautiful. The yeah. things that like make me happy in a way that is like honest to me. And I think that's the only way I can kind of counterbalance it as well as not using it all the time. Like most of the time, I don't even have it on my phone if I don't yeah. have to. Because like once you realize how like it's not your fault that you spe- you get caught in the scroll. Like it's literally it's made designed to do, that. to do that, right? Yeah. It's yeah. tricking you. And I think just having these conversations to to create more awareness over how these things are engineered and how we can actively choose mm-hmm. to engage in them in our lives. Like how much time, not just, I mean, the, not just the screen time thing, but like just being aware that powerful tools have designed this to addict you to them. So yeah. it's not your fault, but knowing that, how do you want to engage? Yeah, being how, really like intentional yeah, about it. Yeah, and also it. just like yeah. the awareness over like, I don't know, like examining like in the book, we examine even like how travel has changed in yeah. under the guise of social media. Like, yeah. how can we move through the world more responsibly beyond just using landscapes for backdrops, for yeah. example? Like, sometimes it feels now that people are traveling for the pick instead of like, you know. So, like, we have to do a lot of with the chapters that we cover yeah. in the book are how social media has affected the way we think about our bodies, how mm-hmm. it's affected the way we um, engage with our work. 
um, our our leisure time. So it's how we eat, how mm-hmm. we exercise, how we how we travel, our communities that we're a part of, or or the communities around the world, and how it's affected our relationships. So the, that's like yeah. the bulk, and it, it's a mix of prose between me and like personal essays from me and Sarah, essays from a few other people, and then Q and A's and interviews. Yeah. So we wanted to to also look like what social media looks like, di- a, va- a variation of different voices. Mm. Yeah. And everyone has such a different relationship to it. Yeah. Kind of, <clears throat> sorry. Speaking of Instagram and social media, your Instagram is an absolute beacon of joy. I think you have figured out how to use it. Or I mean, like, I don't know your personal I mean, experience. I, I don't know how to, I don't know if I figured but out how to use it. From the out, like, from yeah. the outside looking <laughs> yeah. in. Can I say what my favourite thing is? I was gonna, this is what I'm leading into. <laughs> okay. Building up. I love your dance videos. They like make me happy every time. And like most of the things that I follow are either like educational type like yeah. things, or um, I I watch hundreds of dance videos. I think that's what so sucks, joyful. That's what sucks me in. Yeah. Like everyone else is like looking at. Like, what is it know. about it that you think? Let me well, spin this around. What so is it about it that thinks? That you, I that grew up dancing, like so I I love dancing anyway. Yeah. And for, and to see people enjoy it I think is really fun and I, I know you've kind of discussed this as, um, in the book and maybe elsewhere saying that like dancing changed your life and I think part of it being um, with the videos is that you know you don't always get the choreography it's not perfect you're just having fun and I think we kind yeah. of I think with all this like pressure on perfection whether it's work travel whatever lifestyle mm-hmm. there's all of this stuff on being perfect that actually just doing something mm-hmm. and that is completely out of the window mm-hmm. and you're just there to be in the in the like in the present in your body, yeah. like feeling the music, I just think it's a really powerful. Yeah, um, which, like the concept, irony, is... which is what I see when you do it. But I don't know how you feel. But yeah, like, yeah, no, I mean, it definitely started like that. I still feel like that a lot uh-huh. because also I've been talking about the body, mm-hmm. you know, publicly for ten years, mm. and I- I'm, I'm sure sometimes you feel the same way of like, how do I evolve this conversation totally. instead of just being asked and answering the same three questions like what do you think of the term plus size or like yeah. you know like how do we you how know do just, change the script how do we change the script and and let it be something people just see and understand yeah. in this like you know so for me as well starting to post them was literally like i don't want to talk about this anymore here is a body in motion for yeah, example right. like here is a body yeah. just being a body like but that's what i love so much about it is it's just so refreshing seeing someone just having a carefree time like with a kind of you know just like lovely body just like dancing and thriving like I think it's so helpful for people to just see a body in motion like you said. Also just because I've seen so many people find themselves through dance and like find this confidence that they never had before and that was something that I, I wanted to share but of course the irony of like I also fuck up routines all the time because as soon as you start filming yourself, you fuck yeah, them yeah. up. But like again, like I said, that's not the point of the yeah. point of it, you know. But yeah, I guess the intention is how it makes you feel rather than how it looks. Yeah. Like, but also, it does look good. Like you're you're a great dancer, but <laughs> you know, you. it's not the point, obviously. I mean, I don't I don't know if I so, so I don't even know if there is a right way to social use social media. Do you no, know what I mean? No. This is it's a spectrum. It is very much open to critique, but like. I've never planned. I, w- I was never like, how do I get a social media following? Yeah, how right. do I? How do I use this to my best advantage? You know, like, yeah. like, I don't know. This all happened by accident, and I am trying. I'm navigating it as much as anyone else, which is like, I think, what hopefully comes through in the book yeah. of like, I 
not pretending to be a master of this craft. I don't want to be a master of this craft. <laughs> I don't I don't want to like plan my posts. I don't want to no. you know, I don't want to use keywords. You know, like <laughs> I only ever want to post when it's something that I want to share and that feels mm-hmm. right and I think that's the part I have to try and stick with. Otherwise, it becomes too formulaic in a way mm-hmm. that just seems seedy to me, for me personally. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I mean, so, you're, no, you're talk, we, we're in agreement. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's like coming back to like the authenticity piece and, and feeling genuine, both in terms of what you put, put out, because we kind of say that people are drawn to that now like, m- increasingly anyway, but then rather than the kind of the glossy perfection. Yeah. But then it also, I think, does, does it make yeah, you the, feel different? Yeah, but talking about that but, of like, you know, it's just to look at yourself under that lens, like mm. you're just like, you're this really authentic person. And you're just like... And then the pressure to be authentic, right? I, You know, because yeah. you're just being... Also, authenticity is a commodity now, right? right? Like sure, you're saying, totally. like, sure. you know, the fact, like TikTok videos or like, um, you know, like funny, like low Instagram posts yeah. or like, you know, so... And it, it was like this thing that you were just naturally doing and then then well, the it gets put someone, on this other yeah, lens and yeah. you're like, wait. The minute uh, someone labels you as authentic, you're like, oh God, I guess I've got to keep being authentic and then it's not authentic. Yeah. <laughs> I find that all yeah. the time. It's or, very stressful. I don't know. So I just have to try and like distance myself from yeah. that kind of terminology right, anyway because right. like this is, yeah. I'm just being me and that's all I know how to be and when I start thinking too hard about what it is to be me, then <laughs> yeah, like you said, you know, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, yeah. so, and also... I think just even like at the time when I started posting dance videos years ago, that wasn't really a thing so much, you yeah. know, like it's really changed over the years. And I think mm. when something becomes a trend also like trying to navigate like how you interact with those yeah. things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's all a learning curve. I do not have the right answers. And every day I'm like, mm, does that feel right? I just have to trust my gut to yeah. feel what's right for me. And that is like the measure that I have to go by now. Well, like you said at the start, like, patience. Patience with yourself is the best thing. You know, like, and, taking every day. And all this stuff is weird. Let's yeah. talk about yeah, that. All this stuff is fucking weird. It's not normal. And this is the new normal. Yeah. And we're just figuring out how to navigate it. So that's why we wrote the book, to, like, have have these conversations. Yeah. It's like, okay, guys, that was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, and just to talk about it, because... Yeah. Then you take the, sh- I think, you know, so much of our lives, things we don't want to talk about, it's because they're shrouded in shame. Like, shame is the secret killer of everything, of literal lives, you know? Yeah. And shame is something that we all, you know, is, is such a powerful emotion. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm sure you can remember off the top of your head, like, the moments that you felt shame, like, real shame. And, like, uh, and I don't, if anything, I don't want to. I don't want to suffer in silence about things that I've felt ashamed about. Because as soon as you talk about them, make them, you bring them to life, and you share space, they don't feel as heavy anymore. Yeah, so you know. True. And if anything, I want my work to be about that. Yeah, that's. I mean, really beautiful. I guess we, we're getting close to the end. One question mm-hmm. we like to ask is, what's one thing that you like to do that makes you feel really at home in your body and really happy? I mean combination of things but one thing I guess it, take it back to dancing you know I have I've been so busy this week or uh, the last few weeks that I haven't been able to go to class or just like dance as much as I wanted uh-huh. to and like I really feel it and I miss it and I'm like literally like when can I go <laughs> but um yeah 
I love and if and I made my resolution this this year was to try as many new dance forms yeah. as possible. So I've been like literally trying everything. So so honestly, I probably would be better a, a better specific specifically a better dancer <laughs> if I just stuck with one. one thing and just like did it all the time. But what's but the fun in that? Spice of life. No, I've literally tried all. I tried like. I've been doing like hula dancing. There's an amazing That's hula amazing. dance a school in London. Shout out to the London School of Hula and Ori. Kristen, <laughs> we love you. Um, I've been doing like salsa, bachata. Uh-huh. I did like one random Bollywood class. <laughs> literally just like pu- putting myself out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Oh, hula is so hard, by the way. Like it didn't matter that I've danced before. But so you're kind of on an equal playing field with everyone. And um what's interesting about hula is that it was but you know before they had an oral language uh, a, a written language uh-huh. they had an oral language like before they were colonized right. like before hawaiian tahiti were colonized yeah. so it was you know the dance form was used to communicate so like anything you do with your hands is the sky the body is kind of like the the land Right. And leg hips down is the ocean. Wow. So like that, and there's all this like beautiful language surrounding it. So if you learn it kind of ethically, you learn a lot of the language surrounding it. So it's like history. Like I'm just a yeah, real nerd. So I get no, to combine all the things. There is, so, there is so much like story and yeah, uh, storytelling through the body. Dance. Like how yeah. cool is that? And yeah. I think yeah. what you know, if we're talking about the body, hence this is the body podcast. <laughs> you know, I think learning to do new things with your body is really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, that seems like a perfect way to end. I think, um, <laughs> Naomi, thank you so much for speaking to us. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Body Protest podcast, brought to you by the Pink Protest. We would love it if you left us a review and some stars, preferably five, on Apple Podcasts. Preferably. <laughs> it will help other people find our podcast and join our Body Protest family. Honey, where can we find you on social? Well... I'm on Instagram <laughs> at honeykinney and you should also follow the pink protest at pink protest. Nadia, where can we find you? I'm at nadia.quadic on Instagram and you can also listen to my little work podcast, Appearance Matters the Podcast, where Jay Ponell and I talk about the body image research with some of the experts in the field. Uh, this podcast was brought to you by the pink protest and produced by the wonderful Scarlett Curtis. We love you, Scarlett, and thanks to our editor, Shola.